You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, uh, broadcasting to you by the time you'll hear this, it will be the Friday before the big game. Uh, Cardinals are going to be playing a home game against the Seattle Seahawks, a team that they have not beaten at home since 2012. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. We cover the cards for Revenge of the Birds, the SB Nation site. And joined as always by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. And John, we get to talk about some kind of late-breaking news thanks to the coronavirus, but the Arizona Cardinals are back in prime time for the second week in a row, which I think for a a national audience that clearly saw plenty of Kyler Murray last week and wanted more, I think is good news at least, uh, unless you're someone like me who always gets nervous with these national games. But how are you doing and how are you feeling about the Cardinals getting back into primetime? No, buddy, I'm loving it. Yeah, welcome everybody. Part two this week here as we prep for the Seattle Seahawks. And I, I think it's I think it's very poetic, Blake. You know, the Cardinals have not had a Sunday night game, I believe since 2016, which is very sad, but at the same time, probably warranted when you've seen some of the teams between now and then. And we've, we've cautioned a lot of fans when the schedule release comes out that, you know, unless you've got IE an exciting young talent and Kyler Murray or somebody like that, the league is, is less likely to put you on a national stage, given the size of, you know, Phoenix and the market of the Valley. Um, it's one thing if you're a Chicago, you can consistently underperform and get big time games, but the, the market size matters. And I think that once you have shown an ability to be not only entertaining, but a competitive product, they're more likely going to put you on TV. And I think there aren't any better examples than the team that the Arizona Cardinals are playing in Seattle. That's a relatively small market, but goodness, it feels like they're on Sunday night football every other week and then a team like Baltimore small market team that's consistently nationally televised so I mean it, it just shows you if the Cardinals are competitive and they win consistently with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury these opportunities will not be few and far between and you know I looked up some stats this 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 morning I guess just numbers this morning after this announcement was made and it I think the Cardinals are like four one and one in their last six nationally televised games now the lone tie or excuse me on Sunday Night Football now the lone tie was against the Seattle Seahawks in that 6-6-2016 game that we won't speak of but more importantly Blake the Cardinals have a little bit of a do factor going when it comes to the Seahawks, having not beaten Russell Wilson at home since his first game as a pro in 2012. So I think there are a lot of things trending in the right direction for the Cardinals to, to maybe pick up this win. Seattle's defense, which we'll talk about next to last in every major statistical category, but Wilson has just been so exceptional, it hasn't really mattered. And then when you think about the fact that the Cardinals seem to find their footing defensively without Chandler Jones Monday night, that bodes well. Now, Seattle is coming off a bye, but I, I like Arizona's chances in this game to not only be competitive, but certainly have it be a one-possession game in the fourth quarter with a chance to surprise a lot of folks on Sunday Night Football. And that was the way they did it in 2015 with Carson Palmer and company. That was a team that was thought not very highly by critics, and they came out, they beat Minnesota, they beat Cincinnati, they beat Seattle on Sunday Night Football, um, and they gained a lot of respect nationally until you know eventually losing to Carolina in the NFC title game. I'm not saying that this Cardinal team is as good as 2015. I don't believe that, but I do think that they're they're going to show back-to-back weeks on national televised games that. 
They've got real players, star players like Buda Baker, who the casual fan may not know, and that's only going to help their brand moving forward. So do I think they need a win to help their playoff chances or, or you know, gain them respect nationally? Not necessarily. I'm not rooting for a competitive loss, but as long as we're not seeing repeat performances of you know the Denver game of two years ago or things like that, and they're they're putting together competitive outings, that's going to be enough. That's going to be enough for the casual fan, the media, you know, NBC, um, and you know we have relatively low expectations with this team until shown otherwise. But this is this is great to see. I'm happy for the Valley, and I'm happy Blake that this game is at home as well. John, part of it, I think, at least, is when you're talking about the Seattle and the 12s, a lot of times it seems like the Cardinals bring their A game. It's usually always a late-season game uh, in the end of the year as well where the Cardinals have a chance to play spoiler. Seattle usually, for whatever reason, seems to, um, whether it's not overlook them, they just don't seem to be able to bring it. They've had all sorts of offensive struggles. But in the home game, it seems that Arizona just never seems to get off to a quick start. And that's just been kind of typical is that you have a couple of times that they've had nationally televised games and they're there at home and they just end up getting um, just kind of destroyed. I think you can look back to the, you know, that 2015 season, even it was the last game of the year was at home and the Cardinals kind of gave off some warning signs where Seattle just obliterated them with that Carson Palmer 13 win team Uh, team didn't really have a chance to get the number one seed. So perhaps they did let up a little bit for the most part. But uh, at that point, I think you're trying to figure out at least this has been kind of the history between those teams, but what's different this year than with past Seahawks teams. And the answer, like you said, John is their defense currently right now, when you're looking at the total defensive stats in the NFL, the Seattle Seahawks are giving up an average of 471 yards per game. That is the highest yardage total. And they've only played in five games, John. So that's worse than the Cowboys, even as far as for yardage total, which is crazy to think about. And a lot of it is due to the fact that they're a top three rushing unit as far as giving up rushing yards per game. But they are terrible as far as the passing game. They're bottom two. The only team that is worse than them in pass defense is the Atlanta Falcons. So bad that it got Dan Quinn fired. Really what you're looking at, I think, John, is a opposite of a legion of boom. Someone, I think, called it the legion of whom. And we talk about their depth chart, at least. Most of it functions around the fact that this is a team that made a heavy push for Jamal Adams in the offseason, spent two first-round picks to acquire him. And after that, it's just... Very, very little. There's guys like Quentin Dunbar, Quandre Diggs, Trey Flower, Shaquille Griffin. Uh, they've just looked bad as far as coverage goes. And Jamal Adams is looking right now like he's not trending to play on Sunday even. Uh, we can get into some of the injuries in a little bit, John. But let's talk a bit about why Seattle has struggled so much. And part of it, I think, is that their cover three defense that they play a lot of that zone, which normally can baffle quarterbacks, it has not performed well this year in part because they just have such a small and terrible pass rush up front. LJ Collier, um, Benson Mayo, the former 2018 Cardinal, they've not been getting it done. They signed former Cardinal Jonathan Bullard, and so far, Benson Mayo, who's is probably anywhere close to their, not anywhere close to a decent pass rusher on any starting team. Uh, their best pass rusher has been really Jamal Adams on the blitz. And if he's not playing, John, it seems like the Cardinals have a big advantage as far as being able to throw the ball, which is something ironically we haven't seen from this team as they've been a, a run heavy team. Uh, talk a bit about Seattle's defense. And is this a bad matchup for the Cardinals because of the fact that, you know, they run the football well and Seattle guards the run well? Or are we talking about a potential offensive explosion? with the likes of Kyler Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I, I don't think I think it's a great matchup for the Cardinals, assuming that Jamal Adams doesn't play. And I'm at the point now where even if he does play, he might be semi-compromised. 
But, Blake, I I think the perfect example for how to play this game, the Minnesota Vikings showed it to you several weeks ago um, with their vaunted rushing attack going for over 200 yards. The Vikings ran for over 200 yards at 4.9 yards per carry and a touchdown, and they lost to the Seattle Seahawks because they don't have Kurt, they don't have Kyler Murray. They've got Kirk Cousins manning the quarterback position. But I think they've shown you that game was dominated through three and a half quarters by the Vikings before an epic collapse in the in the last what quarter and a half in which Seattle scored 27 points. That's the recipe to be able to keep Russell Wilson off the field and. Again, I'm not somebody who feels like the Cardinals have to go score for score with Murray to win this game, have to instill a sense of, well, we got to score on every possession to win. But I do think the Cardinals have to look themselves in the mirror and say, there's an opportunity here to at least control field position, control the narrative that, you know, we're some pass-happy offense, and build upon what you did against Dallas Monday night when you finally got your head into the game in the second quarter and just said, let's just run on these guys because we can. And I think the same thing can be said of this of this Seahawk defense. You mentioned it. They have made a slew of just really poor personnel choices defensively. You know, Jerron Reed's a nice player, but outside of that, you know, LJ Collar's been a huge disappointment. Their first-round pick, Jordan Brooks, has looked like a, like a bust from the moment they picked him. And that's probably not fair because it's only six games in, but that was an underwhelming first-round pick considering who else was available. Quinton Dunbar, you don't know if he's going to play. Jamal Adams, you know, questionable. These Seahawks corners are by far one of the worst in the NFL. The, the wide receiving core is opposing this Seahawks secondary tend to get right more often than not. Um, and so as long as, knock on wood, Kyler Murray's given ample time to throw, I, I think there's no reason that this offense should not again put up 30 points that being Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Now, the problem is, with how well uh, Russell Wilson is playing now coming off a bye, having two weeks to prepare, you might have to score 40 points to win this game. And again, I say that with all due respect to Vance Joseph, what the what the defense has been able to do through six weeks has been nothing short of admirable and outstanding. But we, you and I both know, Blake, this is when the intensity cranks up. You start to face division quarterbacks, proven quarterbacks, quarterbacks that are far and away, you know, best at their position. Russell Wilson's the runaway for the MVP right now. Now, what I will say is they looked a little bit more human in that Minnesota effort. And, you know, while I wouldn't put Vance Joseph in the same category as, you know, a Mike Zimmer defensively, the Cardinals have been known to, to play Seattle well. Um, you know, the Cardinals were able to beat them, I believe, 27 to 13, 27 to 12 late last year. And that was a Vance Joseph led defense. Now, they did have Chandler Jones, but they were much weaker at linebacker. They didn't have Devon Kennard. They didn't have Isaiah Simmons. They didn't have um, Devondre Campbell. Isaiah, uh, Hassan Reddick was not playing consistently outside linebacker. They didn't have Jordan Phillips. They didn't they didn't have Zach Allen. So I think there there are opportunities. But as far as the the Seattle defense goes, what we saw Kyler Murray do to Dallas, who has, I think, better personnel defensively, even though that, that defense is so poorly coached. I think Leighton Vander Esch is better than, than Jordan Brooks, and I like a lot of their defensive linemen way more, especially their edge rushers, way more than Seattle. Um, I just think that Dallas is so poorly coached. That's that's part of the reason for their struggles. But I, on the surface, Blake, this is a defense to, that doesn't scare anybody. Even if Jamal Adams comes back, you can scheme around him. He doesn't have the the, the vertical quickness, especially as he nursing an injury, whether or not he comes back to chase down Kyler Murray. And I just look at this as there, this could be a game where we see DeAndre Hopkins 
go completely off in the same vein as we saw week one against San Francisco and just expose them completely. Kyler Murray left a lot of meat on the bone in the passing game last week. Kenyon Drake looks the best like he that he's been all year. So again, this defense doesn't scare anybody. It's all about containing Russell Wilson and an emerging wide receiving core. Um, but I, I love the Cardinals' chances to, to to pull out a win. I really do. Yeah, normally we wouldn't say that. Like I, I think you would normally pick against Arizona in the home game and pick four of them in the road game. But uh, like you said, John, the Vikings kind of laid out the roadmap as far as if you want to beat this Seattle team. And it comes down to, uh, strangely enough, keeping the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands and being disciplined, especially when it comes to um, being able to be disciplined in the run game, which is where Arizona ultimately has struggled, which will be interesting to see on third down what will happen. Because if you look at the Vikings, uh, their first play, they went on a 12-play, 6-minute, 77-yard drive for a touchdown. They go back and Seattle has eight plays for that one they have a third and 22 so you end up having uh sacks you're able to get pressure on Russell Wilson they punt the ball back the Vikings then went on a 17 play 10 minute drive all of a sudden the Seahawks get the ball back there's three minutes left in the half they force another punt you know you punt it back suddenly there's only two minutes left to go now even though you're up 13 to zero in the Minnesota game uh, the Seahawks came back in a quick strike touchdown where they had two scores, and I think it was like about under two, it was like two and a half minutes. They had a four play, you know, 58 yard touchdown. You look at the um, uh, the big pass play, at least for the most part, that they had. Um, uh, to I believe it was um, Will Disley actually was one of the guys who got it at least uh, for a touchdown. And then when they turned the ball over, suddenly Russell Wilson made them play with a DK Metcalf pass at least for 13 yards for a touchdown. Kirk Cousins turned the ball over again, and so it seems very much like John when the Cardinals were able to run the football effectively and win the turnover battle, they won the game against the Cowboys. I think this is going to be an almost identical type of game plan and scenario where if you're able to um, um, be effective in the run game, be able to pick up yards, and then still be able to convert in the passing game, keep Russell Wilson off of the field, and then get pressured. That seems to be the method to beating the Seattle Seahawks team because they sometimes go through uh, what seems like anemia, uh, and then they still manage to come around. Now, the person that I mentioned there, at least, is the uh, illustrious DK Metcalf, who a lot of Cardinals fans now, uh, someone even said this is almost the DK Metcalf Andy Isabella Bowl, and I, I think it'll be worth talking about him as well as the comparison to your uh, reigning NFC Defensive Player of the Week, which is Buda Baker. Uh, when you look at the 2017 NFL Draft and the 2019 NFL Draft, it's almost a tale of two second-rounders. Uh, you have the Seattle Seahawks trading back down from pick 26, passing on guys like Tack McKinley, Tredavious White, uh, TJ Watts, trading down to one pick ahead of Arizona. They take Malik McDowell, the defensive tackle. Uh, basically, he's their own Robert Condici, except Robert Condici at least got snaps. Uh, Malik McDowell didn't play a single down for uh, Seattle. He had character concerns, ended up with a freak injury, but still probably had a lot of other questions. The very next pick, the Cardinals select Buddha Baker, the safety, and he's a guy who went to uh, Washington, uh, was a guy who kind of grew up almost in their backyard for a lot of people have said, where a lot of Seahawks fans were hoping that he would be the pick. Cardinals instead trade up for him. He was kind of one of their guys all along. Uh, similarly, in 2019, the Seahawks choose to take uh, LJ Collier, a uh, pass rusher who is so far, you know, he, when you're a pass rusher who's kind of your secondary option after Benson Mayoa, Cardinals take Byron Murphy, who had his best game as a Cardinal. He also is from the University of Washington. It's kind of an interesting juxtaposition, John, because, like, this is a team where both of their GMs have really struggled with some of their first-round picks. Uh, talk a bit about as far as with what we've seen from uh, the Cardinals, whether it's 
Barrett's, the Isabella, the Murphys, or uh, especially with Metcalf, is he's averaging at this point 90 yards and a touchdown through every game uh, this season, which is, uh, which is you know, it's pretty tremendous. I mean, uh, it's not quite the stats that DeAndre Hopkins has been putting up in Arizona, but for a young player like that, it's been a great pick for, for the Seahawks. Yeah, unfortunately it has, Blake. And, you know, I, I'm not going to bang on Kime too hard because he's – I mean, goodness, his his second round picks outside of Isabella have been, you know, borderline insane in terms of how good they've been dating back to 2015. I, I really, I think his last miss in the second round is Troy Nicholas in, in 2014. And I like that pick and he just couldn't stay healthy. But you think about Marcus Golden, who was a pro bowler in 2015. He was a great player for the Cardinals that got derailed by injury, but still very, very worth that selection. 2016, he traded the second rounder for Chandler Jones. 2017, uh, I believe it was Christian Kirk, who I'm still a big fan of and believe he can be a, a very good contributor. 2018, Blake, uh, it was a player by the name of Buda Baker. Not, or no, 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 I'm sorry. It was Buda Baker in 2017, Christian Kirk in 2018. That Baker pick could very well be Kime's greatest pick outside of Kyler Murray ever. Uh, 2019, he got Byron Murphy at the top of the second, which I didn't love the pick at the time. Certainly looks like he's on his way to being a just a stud outside, inside cornerback um, and could replace Patrick Peterson this time next year. But then, yeah, later in the second round, they took Isabella. Um, and that pick really, to me, here's why I'm, I'm less inclined to hold that against Kime as time goes on. I mean, if you remember, you and I, Blake, remember it like it was yesterday because we were frantically attempting to trade Josh Rosen and Miami had an earlier pick in that round. And you think about, okay, had the Cardinals been able to slew the Dolphins into giving them that earlier pick, Isabella's probably not a Cardinal. They probably would have taken a different player. I think they liked a guard at that point. I can't remember who, who it was. I'd have to go back. Uh, we know who it was, actually. Blake we know knows. That they oh, re- who was it? Yeah. We, they know that they loved Eric McCoy. There you go. The and, he's a, and he's a stud. And what ends up being interesting about that was Eric McCoy went with that exact pick that the Dolphins had to the New Orleans Saints, and he's been a total stud. I do think uh, that the Cardinals. I do think the Cardinals at that point would have probably gotten a great player. But like you said, John, with Isabella, we know that they had a member of the coaching staff was on the team. Uh, Kingsbury loved him because he loved the speed and the inside um, ability. And we also know, at least as far as things went with the rest of those picks, that there's one additional thing with Metcalf we can talk about, which was he had a health. Concern concerns coming out just kind of going straight from the Dane Brugler's draft guide they talked about the strengths as far as hey he's a first guy off the bus he's a shredded guy he's fantastic vertically as far as for how well he tracks the ball but there were questions about his routes if he was more just a vertical guy more straight line you know some people bash the three cone I didn't think that there was any problems with it because everywhere else you know physically and production wise he looked more like Megatron the biggest question mark was he had medical red flags come out he had two season-ending injuries over the last three years including a left foot that was broken and a non-spinal neck injury that required surgery and had him sit out. Now, he blew up the combine to a point where I think I had a tweet that I said, hey, like, if the Cardinals are going to trade back in 2000 and, uh, 2019 draft with the Raiders to move to pick four, a player like DK Metcalf fits them better than pretty much anyone else because of Josh Rosen. You wanted to kind of push the ball vertically, but then all that health 
Bell stuff came out, and I think it spooked a lot of people and a lot of teams. Yeah. Um, especially just because, you know, that's the case. And so far, he's been a fantastic player. He's also been a perfect fit for Seattle, in which he's been able to develop his route tree a bit more. And I think it's just one of those spots of where, hey, sometimes you can, you know, bet on a player and he turns into a Ryan Swope. Cardinals had him. He fell down. They thought he was late round value. He never sees the field for them. Other times, you'll land at Andre Ellington, who was injured, ran through the combine, had maybe some injury question marks. He was a super effective running back for a sixth round pick for at least three years for the Cardinals. Yeah. So it's kind of a spot, at least, John, where I think a lot of fans now, if we were talking about, you know, a team that, let's say the Cardinals take a second round wide receiver, like let's say it's a Van Jefferson or someone who can get on the field, but maybe not do as much. They don't trade for Hopkins. You still have Isaiah Simmons. I think that the DK Metcalf pick sticks out a lot more. Instead, Cardinals have the number one overall wide receiver in the NFL right now as far as yards and as far as receptions. He's on pace to shatter his previous record numbers. I I don't think that he gets there, but uh, right now, at least so far, I think that's part of why Cardinals fans are not as concerned about it. Uh, Again, you'd love to be able to have seen them both, but I don't think the Cardinals make that trade for Hopkins if you get Metcalf, so it's it's kind of a you know toss bag right now, and I don't think this is even as important as an issue as we have to say. But then again, if he burns Patrick Peterson for two touchdowns, then maybe that's all that we talk about for uh, for our next recap. Well, you get here's here's what you have to gamble on is like is DK Metcalf gonna consistently do this every year? Is he gonna have a lifespan of ten years at a borderline Pro Bowl level? And I mean, I can't answer that today in in you know October twenty second of twenty twenty. But here's what I do know. Last year as a rookie, he had essentially what equated to just under 1,000 yards uh, and seven touchdowns, right? He had 900 yards and seven touchdowns this year. He's on pace for a, a really nice, what, it'll end up being just under 15, 1,400 yards receiving. He could lead the NFL in touchdowns. I mean, he's on pace right now for over, I think, 12. Now, that's a product, I think, a little bit of who his quarterback is. If his quarterback was, you know, Andy Dalton, if his quarterback was, you know, Sam Darnold, probably be a different story, right? And but what I will say is this if the Cardinals had taken DK Metcalf, um, they probably would not have traded for for Hopkins. But and I, I don't want to get all over the cap nerd on everybody, but what's DK Metcalf making this year? He's not making sixteen million. He's not gonna make twenty million next year. He's making yeah, that and that makes me want to throw up in my mouth. So if if you're talking about team building long term and getting this team and listen, Kime's not all Kime may have taken that money and, and paid somebody who didn't deserve he could have paid another Terrell Suggs or Sam Bradford at, at a different position. So it's not to, to assure anybody that Kime would have spent that money well. But they would not have traded for DeAndre Hopkins and DeAndre Hopkins cap number next year um, is I, I think what, eighteen, nineteen million? I mean it's it's an insane amount. Twenty five million in twenty twenty two. I mean DK Metcalf will still be on his rookie deal at that at that point. So you just you give and take with these things. I'm not complaining about it from a sense of I just didn't like the Isabella pick. Like if they had gone with another player at a different position, it's it's not even a conversation. Let's put Metcalf aside for a second. Just focus on Isabella. They they had a different player in mind. They got screwed by the Dolphins. I mean the Dolphins really just. I mean Kime screwed himself in the sense like he did not play this well and supposedly did not start shopping. Uh, Rosen until the night of the draft, which if that's if that's true, that's that's insanity. But you talk about that second round where I, I think most of us felt fortunate at that point to even get a second. 
and and so when the time came and I, I thought they'd get a third right yeah John. we thought they'd give it a throwaway yeah. third round pick um but when the when the second came in and miami got that deal done i'm sure they they probably there was a little bit of scrambling that had happened and so that that's always going to have it's always going to be compounded with the Rosen debacle was was also parlayed into the the Isabella debacle. Isabella just gone. Couldn't couldn't he have been like a guard that couldn't he have been like what we hope like Mason Cole will be and just been a nice starter for like 5 to 6 years or something like that where it's like hey we got a really nice contributor from the Rosen pick but the fact that Isabella doesn't play and when he does play in certain instances he looks lost on national tv i mean that's that's not great so like i i am at the point now where like i can put a put past the the dk Metcalf factor because of how great hopkins is and how much it's done for kyler's development but as isabella the isabel pick on the surface just to me I, I just what I just wasn't a huge fan of it. I just didn't love that player. I know you were a big fan, and we have these guys every year. We're like, but then I love the Hakeem Butler pick at the top of the fourth round, and that was a disaster. So, I, I can understand what their mindset was, and I trusted Cliff Kingsbury coming out of Texas Tech, who wanted to throw the ball every which way, like give him the receivers that he wanted. So, um, they'll they'll be fine if Isabella never develops and he's a huge bust the cardinals will still be fine they've got enough good players now young under contract they've got cap space coming off the books next year they're going to have an opportunity if they make the right moves to consistently ascend in the nfl but it is disappointing i think also blake not only with Metcalf, but how many impact receivers came from that second and third round group but you could be new england who took Nikhil harry who's been an utter disaster from injuries and just doesn't look like a capable nfl receiver um so there there are different sides of this narrative but i mean who knows isabella may come out and just be super motivated and they may feed him the ball and he may have a career game on national tv um or dk Metcalf can burn patrick peterson for over 200 yards one of those two things i think is likely to happen blake yeah, we'll see how that work as well with the smaller Byron Murphy against the likes of DK Metcalf too because, again, he's a large guy. He's a beast. Speaking of Isabella, it's interesting when you look at that draft for the picks, especially because you're talking about how it wasn't just Isabella. Some of the picks that went afterwards, for, even after DK Metcalf, include the likes of Deontay Johnson. You're also talking about Draymond Jones, who's been you know decent for them. He was one of the guys I think Arizona was considering along with Zach Allen. Uh, you've also seen Terry McLaurin win a pick later. We know that the Cardinals did like him, but as far as linemen go, the only lineman who really was there overall was Michael Dieter, who went to the Dolphins and has kind of been a letdown. There weren't really any other offensive lineman picks that you really saw that were around that spot, and I think that's kind of where right. there was a window of opportunity, and I think it kind of dropped off a bit after that. Um, you know, you can talk as much as you want about some of that. You know, if they'd kept the pick for that too, A.J. Brown would have still been available for that as well, and he was a guy that the Cardinals were considering with pick 33 ultimately uh, I think that they at least with Murphy you can talk about how a lot of what they did I think with their uh, overall draft is just the same that every team does some teams will hit on draft picks some will miss the Seahawks and notably have been one of the worst teams as far as first round picks they spent you know a first round pick on Rashad Penny who isn't even really their third string running back right now so you're just talking at least ultimately about however the pick turns out some of it is having to give a good experience of a period of time some of these players you know it's like Metcalf people were like yeah he's a top 10 pick 
But the health is a question, and the fact that he, you know, ran a terrible three cone, and the fact that people questioned if he could be an all-around wide receiver was, I think, a big part of it. Uh, when you're talking about with Isabella, what's interesting why I haven't been as concerned as some, I think it's been more of concerning as far as players you passed on, but the comparison the Cardinals gave were to Julian Edelman and Wes Welker. When you talk about what Adrian Wilson compared him to and even what Cliff Kingsbury said, and you look at it, Wes Welker didn't have, uh, he had 29 catches in his second year. He had zero catches in his first year with the team. He then went on to have, you know, 687 yards in 2005 before exploding and having three back-to-back thousand-yard seasons followed by, you know, an 800, then another 1,500. He just was kind of that ultimate, you know, weapon out of the slot uh, for the most part for Tom Brady. And Julian Edelman, when you look at his career stats, has been uh, even more dramatic overall as far as his career for the time because when he came into the league, he basically had, uh, you know, from 2009, 2010, uh, he just had a brutal as far as a adjustment period for uh, his overall receiving stats. Like he went from basically having about, you know, uh, a total of about 60 uh, receptions through his first four years, turning into a 70 to 90 reception guy every single year up until 2020, including an NFL uh, Super Bowl MVP award. So if that's the comparison and that's the track record he's on, I think the Cardinals fans can then look at that and we'll look back at it and be like, okay, cool, at least as long as the pick turns out, that's good. And like you said, John, that's really, I think, what Cardinals fans care about. Um, and that'll kind of get us into this last part, which will be the Cardinals defense matching up with Seattle's offense. It will feature the likes of Hassan Reddick, Dennis Gardeck, and some of these backup kind of pass rushers who are going to be, uh, you know, going after the likes of Russell Wilson. Uh, they've got their offensive lines a bit shaken up. The current injury report that you had, you know, you had some of the guys like Kelvin Beecham, DeAndre Hopkins, Jordan Phillips did not practice on Wednesday. Uh, right now, the expectation is that the three of them are pretty much expected to play. We'll see at least if anything changes on Beecham or Phillips, but uh, the other players who are there as far as Dennis Gardeck, Kylie Fitz should be back, uh, Jordan Hicks practice. Seattle's list was pretty long with Adams, Dunbar, uh, their starting guard Damian Lewis did not practice. Uh, Jordan Brooks, who kind of has been starting, he was their first round pick out of Texas Tech, you know, Cliff Kingsbury's one claim to fame as he recruited a first round defensive player at least their uh, starting tackle Dwayne Brown was limited Will Disley who was a stud before he tore his ACL last year was limited Mike Upati was limited he's got a back issue uh, Tyler Lockett sat out wasn't injury related same with Metcalf and then Shaquille Griffin their starting corner he did practice in full but for a team coming off of a bye week John that is a long list of injuries and so the Cardinals I think in a lot of ways their defense matches up pretty well with Seattle in terms of the passing game, you've got a guy in Patrick Peterson and a guy in Byron Murphy who can probably plug on to the likes of their receivers and, uh, you know, your Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And they've got better cover, cover guys for their tight ends as far as last year. I know you had a big touchdown that went to, um, I believe it was well, Jacob Hollister, their tight end. And we know Seattle, they seem to not. They seem to love to run the football in the first half, and then they give up on that and let Russell throw it in the second. And I'll be very curious. How do you think the Cardinals, as far as for matching up to be able to slow this Seahawks team, is I, I think it starts with the pass rush and the Cardinals being able to take advantage of the secondary on the other end. And Kyler's going to have to bounce back, I think, from that nine-completion game. How, how do you feel like about the Cardinals as far as being able to match up with the Seahawks that way before we get into game predictions? Yeah, I, I like it a lot, Blake. When you see some of these players in the secondary for Seattle opposing receivers and tight ends are just running wide open. I mean, it, it's a coverage issue. It's a coaching issue, which is you know worrisome because Pete Carroll's a defensive specialist. But again, this team is built 
to win behind Russell Wilson. Their defense is not timely. It just, the, the game literally, the, the, you just run out of time against the Seahawks. They just, Russell does just enough in four quarters to be able to win. Their margin of victory is small. And they're 5-0 and just because of the fact that Russell Wilson makes enough plays at the end of the game to, to win the game. And so with the Cardinals, you need to be aggressive. And you almost feel like you, you it's like a multi-hydra snake and you have to cut off all of its heads. And that's how I always feel when we play Russell Wilson where it's like you need to be able to score and have a, a, a comfortable lead entering the fourth quarter to really feel like you've got a chance or you have to give yourself enough time and not give Russell enough time to score and win the game. I'm, I'm sure that sounded really cliche and obvious, but it's like if you let Russell Wilson go down and score and there's four or five minutes left, you you're, you yourself need to score but also have no time remaining for him to either get in a position to kick a game-winning field goal because he's going to make it happen. He is probably... Outside of Brady, the, the clutchest quarterback I've seen since I've started you know, covering the NFL, he is the most physically, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, like mobily um, gifted yet like doesn't turn the ball over, just has a great sense of like what play needs to be made at the time it needs to be made, and he's got a tremendous ability to throw the deep ball. I mean, he, he is right now, outside of Mahomes, the perfect quarterback in today's NFL. And again, unlike Mahomes, he doesn't have a savvy offensive coach. He doesn't have great personnel around him. The offensive line is still below average. And defensively, they're a bottom-tier team, and yet they're undefeated because of him. Now, I think that leads to some shortcomings in the postseason. That's why we haven't seen them win a, a Super Bowl since 2013. But as far as the regular season goes, they are just they're exceptional offensively because of him now defensively like you mentioned Blake I think you can turn a lot of these players around I don't think Bobby Wagner is what he once was they don't have great disruptors up front on their defensive line Clowney really made a mess of the Cardinals offense in this game last year at the University of Phoenix Stadium I think had that tip pass interception for a touchdown he's gone now and so I think we could see this offensive line that by the way is top three in both offense excuse me, pass blocking and run blocking in advanced metrics via ESPN play their best football in probably a decade and a half for this franchise, just maul Seattle up front. I mean, you, you talk about this offensive line. If Kelvin Beecham doesn't have a serious ankle injury, and, and by all accounts, I, I think he'll be fine. They're going to run behind right now what is a Pro Bowl left tackle, in my opinion, in DJ Humphreys, which I, I never thought I'd be saying that. Mason Cole has played exceptionally well after he came back from injury and had that one kind of so-so game. He's played really well the last two weeks. Pugh looked kind of compromised last week, getting him another week of, of practice. He should be better this week. Justin Murray is a huge upgrade over what we saw from J.R. Sweezy, and Kelvin Beecham's been a godsend at right tackle. This offensive line has been so good for this team. They have an ability to just maul Seattle again for the second consecutive game, dating back to last year in Week 16. So I think, yes, the vertical passing game is going to be a big point of emphasis. Hopkins feeding him the ball early. I also said on Twitter, I think this is this could be a, a vintage Larry game where he's just consistently utilizing those underneath throws, breaking tackles. He always seems to break multiple tackles on a touchdown run like we saw last year where Kyler flicked him the ball at the end of the first half and scored a touchdown. I am I am so bullish on what I think this Cardinal offense can do, and we highlighted it on our last podcast, Blake. The, the assignments are going to get increasingly tougher for the Cardinal defense, but there is no one left on the Cardinal schedule through the end of the year, through December, 
that scares me defensively. The only the only maybe question mark is, you know, what will Bill Belichick do against Kyler Murray for the first time? But in terms of personnel, I mean, Kyler Murray in this offense, if they can settle down, play efficient f- football, throw the passes and catch the passes that are there to be made. And Kyler, we know historically is a very accurate quarterback. So it's just, it's either nerves or footwork or mechanics early in games because he does get better. If they can settle down and start fast, when was the last time they've started fast in a game? They, I I assure you, will have a great chance to win this game. But here's what they can't do, Blake. They can't do what they did against Dallas where they slept walk offensively through the first quarter. And, and, and gave themselves no opportunity to, to jump out to an early lead. Now, Dallas played horrible, and the defense forced multiple turnovers, and that led to the lopsided result, and the offense eventually got going. That's not going to happen against Russell Wilson and, the, and this unit. So if the Cardinals come out and it's three and out and three and out and three and out, you could be looking at a big deficit. Now, I think that they are committed to the running game now, and I think that's, that's less likely to happen. But if it does... You could see another lopsided affair with this Seattle team that if they can do anything, they can put points on the board. Yeah, John, I think it is going to be a high-scoring affair. I've got the – I have a hard time being able to – like we said, we both think the Cardinals will do well in this game, but I think that this is going to kind of stick with the trend. I've got this as being a um, 31-33 Seattle victory. I think what kind of ends up happening, at least if the Cardinals drive down, do a go-ahead play, and then just from what we've seen, I think that there's just enough Russell Wilson magic where either he got them ahead of that much or that you're seeing him, you know, drive down the field to get a last-second field goal. Uh, things are always fluky. It would not shock me if it's, you know, 31-33, uh, the Cardinals go down, and you have, like, a blocked field goal or something like that. Like, I, it just there's weird things that seem to happen. Uh, we think back to that 6-6 Cardinals-Seahawks tie where the Cardinals, you know, argued should have won the game, and then Seattle Seahawks, you know, were gonna about to be handed a victory, and they miss, you know, a chip shot field goal. So uh, that's what I have at least as far as that. Uh, it sounds like. Are you looking to pick the uh, Cardinals to win? And I've, I've got another comment just before we log off on uh, on all that because it's it's tough. To, it's a tough matchup for this one, right, John? I will pick Arizona to win because I picked them before the year to win this game. When we did our predictions in our whenever that was in July or August, game by game, I I did pick them to win this game. And nothing I've seen from Seattle, even though they're 5-0, and leads me to believe that the Cardinals couldn't win this game. This is not some juggernaut team. This is a very well-quarterbacked team. And that's it. They don't do anything else really well. They have some nice skill players offensively, but they don't block particularly well, and their defense has issues top to bottom. If the Cardinals, play, if the Cardinals come out and play their best game of the year, they have better players than Seattle. And they have a quarterback that can minimize the damage that Russell Wilson can do on the opposing end. So I will I will pick Arizona to win this game by the final score of let's I, I think they go have another big offensive week. I will say thirty-five to thirty-two. Arizona wins this game, moves to five and two going into the bye week. But regardless, if they were to lose this game, let's let's not get down on ourselves. Winning record into the bye week, I think a lot of us would have taken it, Blake. Absolutely, especially with the fact that you will see the Seahawks again and that the team is kind of already playing with a little bit of house money by getting a win up on the Niners. They just have to go 5-5 five and five down the stretch to have a chance at a winning record. If they can get a win against the Seahawks, I think that's huge for them. Uh, I still am going to kind of go with the conventional wisdom of, you know, pick Seattle when Arizona's at home, uh, pick Arizona when Seattle's at home. And uh, before we kind of go, I, we're going to talk a bit more over the bye over 
some of the players who, if the Cardinals are going to be buyers over the deadline, who they could look at. There's one in particular that came up as far as in rumors, and that would be Antonio Brown, who will see after week eight his suspension will be over. The Seahawks reportedly have some interest. And John, the question is, uh, the Cardinals, we've talked about the need for a number two receiver. Kyler even, you know, worked out with A.B. while he was in his draft prep. Is this a spot where the Cardinals should try to sneak in ahead of them, get the guy who's right on paper? Or are we talking about, you know, adding a, a landmine, at least for that one, and then, you know, throwing <laughs> a bunch of bricks onto said landmine when you add it on there? What are your thoughts on if Arizona should even be a buyer for someone like A.B. with all of that drama? Well, I don't, I don't love the A.B. move now, midseason, where... I mean, you've got somebody like Kirk, who every time I say this, he goes MIA for a few games, but looks like he's putting it together. Um, and then, you know, I know they want to get Larry Moore involved, and the the running game is such a big part of what they do. I, I just don't see it, and I it doesn't stress me. I mean, Seattle is, if if anything, they're super talented at, at receiver already. I don't, I, I think that it's a little bit confusing. They want to go all in. They feel like Russell can contain him. Um, and you know, more power to them. I'm just glad, glad he's not acclimated to, to if they do, if he does sign with Seattle before this game, but it doesn't scare me, but I also don't think it's, I mean, if the Cardinals were to sign him, I have no problem with it, but I think the time to do that would have been maybe in the off season where you could have worked with him, but you know, given COVID restrictions, maybe that wasn't an issue for anybody. So I will say no Blake, but I do think that we've got an interesting conversation to be had this time next week during the bye week about potential, acquisitions the Cardinals can make on the other side of the ball. John Gambadaro of Arizona Sports did mention that if they do make a trade, it's going to be for pass rush help. Now, he didn't specify whether that could be an edge rusher or a disruptive defensive lineman. And unlike Antonio Brown, who's you know high maintenance, there are some really savvy veterans that probably could be had for a late round pick this time next week. And I expect Kime, regardless of the result on Sunday, to make a move at the deadline to bolster this defense. Um, and again, Antonio Brown, he would get all the headlines, but a savvy addition, a rotational defensive lineman edge rusher for this unit that needs it after the, the loss of Chandler Jones, I think would be more impactful for a Cardinal team. Again, I say it every week. Yeah. <laughs> this Cardinal team leaves so much offensively, leaves so much meat on the bone. And every week we're like, man, they just they missed on a handful of plays and they didn't look like they clicked. And we'll look up at the scoreboard and they'll put up over 30 points. And that just shows me that they've they've got the ability, Blake, especially against these opposing defenses we highlighted, to put up huge points with the talent they have. I am bullish, of course, on Hopkins. I Christian Kirk, if he can stay healthy, has shown that over the last two weeks that he can be a capable number, number two receiver. Fitzgerald's open. Kyler just has to get him the ball. Um, their tight end, who Dan Arnold, who everybody loved in the preseason, hasn't had a catch in two weeks. They could get him more involved. Chase Edmonds in the passing game. Isabella, who knows what what he could do in the second half of the season. I, I just think that if you're going to add a veteran receiver, I I think with Kingsbury's offense and the intricacies of it, I would be more inclined to do it in the offseason. You have time to build rapport. You get a veteran that can go alongside um, Hopkins. That's the time to make it. But you could go and pluck a, an impact defender in the front seven now and just say, okay, this is your job. Your job is to rush you know, a gap on first down or second down, or you're going to rush the passer on the outside and provide depth so Hassan Reddick doesn't have to play the run. Just something like that where you come in, you have one clear defined role. I just think mucking up what they've got going offensively where they're still trying to work out some things is not is not the plan. Because I think what we've seen, Blake, is 
you know, we got some issues at receiver, but a lot of that is also on Kyler refining his mechanics and calming down and putting the ball where it needs to be. Whereas last year, I would have completely agreed that the receivers just weren't getting it done. They were too inconsistent. They were dropping passes. I think it's probably 50-50 this year. And I, I like the guys in-house too much right now to say, let's go roll the dice on, on you know, somebody like Antonio Brown. The Cardinals have a good thing going, and I don't think they want to mess with that offensively. Yeah, just from because of the fact that they seem to just always have a as, extra aspect they put on character and team chemistry, uh, adding a diva for all of that, and not to mention the fact that you know he's supposed to have a trial come December for uh, sexual assault, if not rape, for one of his former trainers. It's like when you're adding one of those type of players to your team, there's going to be a lot of you know ultimately where if things collapse and fall apart, and you don't win, you know like a, a get to the NFC Championship or something like that, you're just going to be raked over the coals for the most part for taking that type of risk and. We've seen that burn teams like the Patriots and burn teams like the Raiders already who thought that they had, you know, sustainable culture for each of them. And I just think it's one of those things where if it's me, I'd stay far away from bringing that in. And we know the Cardinals, they they have an identity this year. And ultimately, it's running the football. Uh, I think of Kenyon Drake. Uh, he talked about how his mom was even noticing that he wasn't hitting the hole as hard. He's like, all right, if your mom points that out, then I got to change something. If he's able to turn it around, and right now, John, I think you tweeted out he's fourth in the NFL in rushing, that and Kyler Murray running tossing the ball to chase Edmonds getting Hopkins involved and taking a few deep shots that that is your identity and that's the same identity we saw of the Cardinals play in that Dallas game and ultimately they are a defensive team I think uh, with playing a solid run game I think that's the identity that's fine to have it's ironically similar to one that Seattle had for many of those years we'll see if they can kind of do to Seattle what the Seahawks have done to them over the last few years or if we're going to be going into the bye with a four and three record uh, that'll wrap it up for us on the Revenge of the Birds podcast I uh, would thank you guys so much again for tuning in and listening uh, we're excited to bring some more bye week content for you we'll have kind of a uh, one bye week super show that we're going to try to get involved and see if we can at least get some talk about potential free agents uh, review how the team is gone thus far and then take a look at some of the upcoming schedule and you know if there's any adjusted expectations for the team as well uh, we should hopefully have Walter from our staff uh, even one of our staff writers on as well in the meantime you can kind of reach out to me at Blake Murphy 7 on Twitter John Quinn where can our listeners find your content yeah I am at revenge of the birds.com as well as on the ROTB podcast of course here on a bi-weekly basis I, you can find me on Twitter at Johnny Venerable and also on Periscope after every Cardinal game, which it'll be a late one on Sunday night, but happy to do it. Uh, following Cards, Seahawks, uh, hopefully moving Blake to 5-2 and two on the year. Absolutely. And that'll be it for us. We'll catch you guys on the other side of Sunday night football and uh, all that Carrie Underwood songs, all that good stuff. This has been the ROTB pod. Have a good one, guys. Yeah.